A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm on staff here. And yes, I got a haircut. All right. Some of y'all, some of y'all have been so excited to talk to me about this today. There's a lot of good things going. Rihanna is back on stage for the first time in seven years. Bad girl Riri back in the public. And all y'all can talk about is Nathan's haircut. So there we go. Everyone's very excited. And we have been in a series uh, since the beginning of the year uh, about the life of Jesus. And uh, we have been studying the earliest written account of Jesus' life, uh, which was written by uh, an early follower of Jesus named Mark. And uh, Mark, most people, most scholars believe, probably got most of his knowledge about the life of Jesus, his knowledge of these stories from Peter, who was a really close follower of Jesus while Jesus uh, was walking around on the planet. And so what we see and what we've really been focusing on for the majority of this series so far is we've been focusing and had our attention on Jesus, which is not only appropriate because the book uh, is about him. I mean, we're calling this series The King Jesus Gospel. But it's important for us to just have our eyes fixed on Jesus because the whole point that Mark is trying to get across to people is that Jesus is the king of kings. That through Jesus, God is bringing about a new kind of life, what Jesus called the kingdom of God, which means the rule and the reign of God. The world, the way that it should be if God were king, if God got his way, it's life in the power and the presence of God. Another way to say this is what Jesus called eternal life. It is life with God. That through Jesus, God is making life with him available to anyone who wants it. It's this kind of interactive life with God where God is not only active in our world, he's active in your life and through your life if you'd be open to it, if you would interact with him. And so what we see is in every interaction every healing, every miracle, every teaching of Jesus in Mark, Jesus is trying to establish himself as this king of kings or what the Jewish people would have called their Messiah. This king, this long-promised king of God who would establish God's kingdom in this world for all time. And that anyone who wants it can have this kind of life that in his death and his resurrection, Jesus brought about, it was as if a new world a new creation, a new kind of life started to burst forth into our world, which is broken, surrounded by darkness. In fact, if you were here with us last year when we studied a different account of Jesus' life by one of his closest followers named John, you remember that John referred to these miracles of Jesus, these healings of Jesus, as signs. That the point of the miracle, the point of the healing or of the feeding 
that, it was not just the miracle. The point was to point to Jesus as the king of all kings. That Jesus is the head of this kingdom of God and that this new life is made possible through him. And this is the frame Mark wants us to see the work and the ministry of Jesus' life through. He even describes Jesus' work this way. Right at the very beginning, he says, So Jesus goes into Galilee, and he proclaims the good news of God. And this is the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Or it's right here. It's in front of you. You can see it. And then he says, Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' ministry was about calling people to repent, which often sounds scary to us who are used to hearing street preachers going around and calling people to repent. But to repent is just to turn your life around, to just see the evidence that's in front of you and decide you've been wrong about everything and to turn around and go a different direction. And what Jesus is saying is, because you now know that this kind of life with God is available, this kingdom of God, you've seen it in my healings and my miracles. You've seen it before you. Because of that, you should turn your life around. You should do things differently. You should see the world differently. And that's why he says you repent and you believe. To believe is to immerse your life, not just your thoughts, but your body, the way that you act, in a reality that is different than what you are currently investing your life in. And so he says, you believe, you base your life on, you make your decisions, you, you treat people, you live in a relationship, or the way we say it here is, you love everyone always because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that his kingdom has come. And it is available if you want it. And what Jesus is really saying when he says repent and believe is, do you want to live in God's new world? That God is making a new kind of world but not everyone wants to be there. Not everyone wants to live in God's new world. And we're only five chapters into Mark, but for the next two weeks, I actually want to go back a little bit, and I want to look at a few stories that we kind of uh, didn't look at before, and I want to see how they give us a different angle on what Jesus is doing in his kingdom. And in particular, that the way he's doing this is through partnership with people. That God is partnering with ordinary human beings. We've already seen that in our scripture reading, but we'll explain more of what that means. From the beginning of all creation, the beginning of the Bible begins with God creating everything. That out of his very loving being, everything in existence comes into, into being. And God creates everything, every beautiful thing that we see. And it's funny, no matter how modern we've become and how much technology we have, everyone still stands in front of Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon or a starry night and says, oh, wow, wow. And God creates all of these things in creation. And then after that, after creating all the things, he says, my prized creation will be these human beings. And so in Psalm 8, this writer of the Bible who's just kind of looking back on everything says, when I look at the works of your hands, when I see the stars, when I stand before a mighty waterfall, I have to stop and think, who is man? What are human beings that you would be interested in them? What is it about human beings? Well, God says that he made us in his image. He makes us in his image, and then he says, and you are to have dominion over creation. What he means by dominion is I want you to rule 
this planet. I want you to cultivate this planet. I want you to use your resources and the energy and the power that I've given human beings to create and to inspire good and to influence good. But the whole goal was that human beings would co-rule with God. That it would be this full connection with God, with others, with ourselves, that would inspire us to love and take care of one another. But as you probably could imagine, co-ruling, partnership with God, it is not a 50-50 split. God still gets to be king. God is king, but he's working alongside human beings, but from the very beginning. And even if you're not aware of the Bible, you can see this in the world. Human beings do not want to co-rule with anybody, let alone God. So human beings start kind of defining for themselves. I want to define what's good and what's evil, not God. I want to define what's right or wrong. I want to define how I do things in my life. And so human beings rebel against this good creator. And we begin to use the power and authority he gave us, the influence he gave us, to decide what I want to get out of life is what I want to get out of life. All I'm interested is in ruling and influencing for the sake of me. And even if that comes at the expense of other people. Now here's the truth. None of us choose right out front, I would rather hurt someone else. But we're all willing to say, if your good and my good conflict with one another, someone's going to win and it's going to be me. If I have to rule for anyone, if I have to make a decision, if I have to make things work out, I will rule for my good at the expense of someone else or the expense of creation. And so what has happened in every society, in every human being's life, is this rebellion against God. Until Jesus. Until Jesus comes along. And we said at the very beginning of the series that Jesus is the first true human. He's the first human being to actually get right what we have always gotten wrong. He's the first one to never sin, to never live under this oppression and corruption of sin. He's the first person to never choose, I will choose my good over your good. He gave his life away as a blessing to others. And this is only possible because he is both fully man and fully God. That in Jesus, the partnership between human beings and God, there was no separation. There was no division between God and human beings. Full trust, full submission. It's what we would call an interactive life with God. And Jesus said at the start of his ministry, the time has come. Life with God is available. It is possible for you to do life in such a way that everything in your life becomes a blessing to the people around you. Not a curse. That you would not do harm to the people in your life, but you would only do good. And the other gospel writers explain, this is Jesus' message everywhere he goes. The kingdom of God is available. But he didn't just preach the kingdom, he displayed it. These signs and miracles and wonders are the evidence that God is working through this man, Jesus. And then he would say to them, so repent and believe. Turn your life around. You've seen the evidence. Do something different. This life is available if you want it. And that's just the beginning of Mark. That's just the beginning. We see Jesus' power and his presence, his activity in the world, his healings, his miracles. But they are not just good teachings. They are not just amazing miracles. They are invitations for human beings to step into a new world, a new life, interactive life with God. And then the very next story we see in Mark is Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee. And he comes across four fishermen 
who he makes a strange invitation to. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now this interaction is commonly understood by biblical scholars to be an invitation from Jesus to these men to become his disciple. For first century Jewish rabbis, like Jesus, it was expected they would have a small group of students or disciples who would learn from them how to teach the people of Israel how to follow God. These disciples would almost always be the best students, people who had studied and often memorized the Hebrew scriptures and would come to a rabbi after carefully studying his interpretation of the scriptures so they could ask to be his disciple. If the rabbi found the student worthy, he would invite him, come, follow me, which would mean they would leave their father and mother and they would follow this rabbi wherever he went. They would usually travel with him, stay with him, eat meals with him, and learn from him how to do every part of their life. They would learn how to pray like this rabbi, observe the Sabbath and rituals of fasting and hand washing and worship like this rabbi, learn how to interpret scriptures like he did, all so they could one day go off and share this rabbi's brand of following God and the scriptures with others. The best way for most of us to think of disciple in our modern minds is to think of an apprentice. When most of us think about being a student, we have flashbacks to being in high school, learning a vast array of things from reading Emily Dickinson and Nathaniel Hawthorne to memorizing dates for a history exam or geometry formulas that we've never thought about since. Which is why when any teenager complains, why am I learning this? I'm never gonna need it. We're all frustrated because we know they're right. But an apprentice is someone who places themselves under the authority of a person who will teach them a specific skill that the apprentice intends to use for the rest of their life. And apprentices watch their teacher closely. They watch how they do every part of their job because they want to be able to repeat that in their own life. This is what being a disciple is. It's being an apprentice. And this is the invitation Jesus extends to these fishermen. Come, follow me and you can learn from me how to do what I do. Now what's funny is this isn't exactly what Jesus says. He says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Now I wonder why Jesus didn't do this with all of his disciples. I mean, when he calls Matthew, the tax collector, to be his disciple, he doesn't say, come follow me and I will send you out to collect people. Maybe because that sounds creepy. But regardless, I think Jesus is making an important point to Peter and Andrew up front. Follow me and I will send you out. Here's why I think this matters. There seems to be this assumption that many of us carry about being a follower of Jesus or being a Christian that says it's mostly about sin management. It's about cleaning up our act and becoming a more moral person. We think following Jesus is about not doing things that Jesus would not do. Following Jesus, being his disciple, his apprentice, is about learning to do what Jesus would do. He said, follow me, and I will send you out for the sake of others. You will draw others towards life with me, just as I am drawing you to life with me. He's inviting me to live a life like his. And believe it or not, Jesus' time on earth was not about him just sitting around not sinning. As we've already said, Jesus' life was this interactive life with God where he went around doing good and announcing the kingdom of God. 
It was the everyday experience of seeing God active in the world around him and then joining God in his work and doing God's will for the sake of others and then inviting others into this life too. And this is what Jesus is inviting his disciples to do. Follow me and you can learn how to live this kind of life, but not just to make your life better, but your life can become this blessing that makes the world around you more like the kingdom of heaven. And this is what you and I have been invited into, interactive life with God for the sake of others. Now, I don't think that Peter and Andrew necessarily understood what fish for people meant that day on the beach, but they knew what come follow me meant because Mark tells us at once they left their nets and they followed him. And we see the same thing when Jesus meets James and John, who were apprenticing under their dad to learn how to fish. Mark tells us this, without delay, he, Jesus, called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. These men understood about following Jesus, learning from him, how to live a life like him. Well, they, for them, it was just the offer of a lifetime. It was worth abandoning everything else for. And so you and I, well, we've been invited into that same kind of life. And before we move on in our service today, I want us just to take a moment just to consider if we're pursuing Jesus with that same kind of passion. Are we willing to abandon all other pursuits to do his life, his way, so that all other things that get in the way just get out of the way so that we can do that? Now, maybe it's our schedule or the busyness of our life that keeps us from committing to him. Maybe it's something that you know that Jesus is calling you to do, but you're just afraid to follow. Or maybe there's something that he's calling you to walk away from that you're just unwilling to give up right now. Maybe there are doubts. Maybe there are questions in your mind that keep you from following him fully. So would you just take a moment just to talk about that with God? Would you... Just take a moment just to be honest with him about where you are in your struggle to fully pursue him. And you can just know that there is no shame. There is no condemnation in Jesus because he is all for you. And all he has for you is just love. His desire is to draw you towards him. So just talk to him about what's holding you back. Let's take a few moments to do that now. And now if you feel comfortable doing so, would you just ask God to help you take a step toward him today? Or if you don't feel like you can honestly say that, 
Maybe you just ask him if he'd help you stay open to whatever it is that he has for you, even throughout the rest of this service today. Just honestly speak to your father about what he's calling you to do. Heavenly Father, help us to see what a gift life with you truly is. Would you, just, would you just soften our hearts and loosen our stubborn feet to move towards you as we continue in our teaching. Keep our eyes and our ears open to what you want us to experience. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the invitation of being a disciple is to learn how to live like Jesus, to learn from Jesus what it actually means to do interactive life with God so that our lives would become a blessing for the sake of others. See, Jesus' activity in the world, it was fueled by this deep connection with his Father. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't just heal every person he came across? You ever wonder why, you know, he calls all these crowds and we only get a couple occasions where he feeds all the crowds and we don't get any indication that every town he goes into, he's just doing miracles all the time and healing every single person. Do you ever wonder why some crowds and not others? Why heal this person and not others? You ever think about that? I do all the time and I have no answer to that question. So I don't know why I brought it up to you, but I have no, I have no answer to this question. But I do have this thought. Jesus says at one point, in his, in his work in the world, he explains it this way. He says, the son, meaning himself, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Now, there's a lot going on in that particular story that kind of leads to why he said that. But here's what I want us to get from this. Jesus' activity in their world and in our world is never random. It is never random. It is the work of a son seeing his father at work all around him and just joining his father in the work that he's already doing. That Jesus seemed to see the world in such a way that he looked and he could see in any circumstance or any person's life, there's my father and he's at work and I'm going to go join him in that work. That this is what interactive life with God is. This is the kingdom of God. It's a life where you and I can live every moment in the power and presence of a God who loves us. Where even ordinary places and mundane tasks and difficult people that we have to deal with, they are surrounded by and permeated throughout by the fingerprints of God. But the problem is you and I don't see the world this way. We are not constantly walking around looking to see where is God at work in the world. Most of our days are so hurried and rushed and filled with activities and appointments that we are not paying attention to the current moment we're in, let alone the person who's in front of us, let alone the God who is all around us. We cannot see enough in any given moment what another person is doing, let alone what God might be doing. I'll give you an example of this. Have you ever had one of those days where things are just a little bit rushed, but you have enough of a time that you stop 
at a quick trip or someplace like that, and you're like, I'm going to get a roller and a drink. So you go in, you get a roller food, you get one of those nice slushies, you go in, they've got old pizza sitting somewhere, and you get one of those anyway, right? It's breakfast pizza, but it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So you get the, you get the breakfast pizza, and you go to checkout, and there's a little bit of a line, and you can tell there's a little bit of a problem, but finally, when you get up there, you're going to pay, and you have to pull out your credit card to pay, and you, went, you go to put the chip on the thing, and then you realize this is taking a long time time they go oh yeah try it again and you try it again and you're getting a little more frustrated and they go yeah that never really works just just insert the chip so then you insert the chip and you sit there for a long time and it makes that beepy noise of death that you know something has happened so you take it out and it's not working they're like you're just gonna have to swipe it and you go swipe it is this 1992 what is going on did you not know that i was coming here before you got here could you not have fixed this whole thing you know i know the signal's got to go to space and back down but could you not have fixed this before i got here don't you know how much stuff I have going on today. I don't have time for your little chip. Which isn't true because no one's ever had an emergency and decided to go to Quick Trip. No one's ever been standing in line with a roller and a slushy going, could you hurry up? My wife's having a baby. No one has ever been in that much of a rush. But what happens is we get really focused on what do I want out of this situation? And I feel really busy. And what then happens is this person who is in front of me, they either need to help me get done what I want to get done or they need to get out of the way. And it's one thing when we're talking about roller food. It's another thing when I'm talking about my career or my money or my family. And I thought, holidays were going to look like this and I thought grandkids was going to look like this and I thought marriage was going to look like this or we're talking about my future or we're talking about the future of our country now people aren't problems they're enemies to be defeated they're not just problems to solve they're enemies to be defeated and my eyes get blinded to what God could ever be doing because all I can get focused on is how can I get her to do what I want her to do? How can I get my kids to act the way I want them to act? How can I get this person on my train or get them out of the way? And I can't focus on anything else. And I miss it all. But there is another way to live. There is a way to live where every moment, even the most ordinary, or the mundane, or the most difficult, they're an opportunity to be with God at the work he is doing in our world. To be present to him. To join him in his work. It's a way of life where your goal is not to maximize your to-do list of all the things that you or your kids are supposed to be doing. Or to maximize your comfort or pleasure in any given moment. A life where your joy and your purpose is not based on how any day turns out or how any circumstance or relationship is working for or against your favor. But a life where your entire being is a gift that you open up to the world around you. Because this is what your Savior did for you first. It's where you are rooted in the power and presence of God in every moment. A life where ordinary moments, like folding laundry or frustrating and exhausting moments like going into work and just feeling like no one cares if you're there. Or even inconvenient moments like a flat tire on the side of the road. They are not just 
bumps in the road to get over and to work through. Even those moments are opportunities to pause and say, God, what are you up to right now? God, you are with me right now, and I am fully surrounded by the love of the God who made me. And then if you could open your eyes to join him in what he's doing all around you, what you'll find is when you join him in his work, he does all the heavy lifting. It's not work. Have you ever found that you're spending a lot of time exhausting yourself and frustrating yourself and frustrating everybody else trying to make things work in your favor? You find yourself exhausted trying to make sure everyone else gets on your plan? Jesus says, Well, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart. You will find rest for your soul. Now, this phrase, take my yoke, is most scholars agree is probably a double entendre, meaning it has two meanings that you're supposed to kind of hold together at the same time. Right? The first kind of meaning that Jesus would have expected people to know is that most rabbis referred to their way of life, the way that they taught their disciples to live and to pray and to fast and to interpret Scripture, to follow God. They would refer to that as their yoke. And if you were going to follow a rabbi, you would take their yoke upon you. But as you could probably imagine, these things were often very heavy. There were a lot of burdens. There were a lot of things you had to carry on. And Jesus goes, if you follow me, your way of life becomes easier, less exhausting, because you're not trying to make every situation and every person fit into your plans of how it should go. But the reason, the second meaning that you're supposed to hold on to is that the rabbis use this term because this word yoke described this farming tool that would get used when they would use uh, work animals like horses or cows or oxen to work together in a field. They would kind of connect them, bind them together with either a big wooden kind of plank or leather straps that they would call a yoke. And what farmers would do when they would have to work through this is they would often, when they wanted to train a younger, more inexperienced oxen, they would yoke them to a stronger, more experienced oxen. And all the younger one is having to do is just kind of watch what the bigger one is doing so they can learn how to pull and move their, move their feet and walk. And the stronger oxen was doing all the heavy lifting, was doing all the pulling. Some of you are nodding your heads and others aren't. If you get this quick, we can go home quicker, okay? Here's the way this works. Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. All you have to do is join me in the work I am doing. You just plant your feet and you turn towards me and you say, when he moves, I will move. And Jesus does all the heavy lifting. If you give up this agenda that you have of the way your life was supposed to go, I hear so many people my age and older saying all the time, my life wasn't supposed to go like this. If you give up the idea of supposed to and the way you think it should go and you say wherever Jesus is going, I'm moving, life becomes easier and lighter because you're not in control of the way things go. Your job is just to be yoked to someone who is stronger and has eternity's worth of experience. He knows how life should go. And Jesus is inviting us into a life of meaning and significance where all I have to do is to see where God is active around me, open my eyes to see him, and then just join him and do what he 
does. I just get into the flow of what his spirit is doing and he does the work through me. This life is available to you, but you have to drop your nets. You have to drop whatever you're holding on to so you can follow Jesus where he goes. You have to abandon all other pursuits, meaning everything you thought was going to make your life good, that you have been working hard, you've been putting all your emotion into and all your weight into and all your effort into, and you've said, when this finally happens, my life will be good. When I retire, when I get the kids out of the house, and then you get the kids out of the house, when I get them to come back around more often. (laughs) Wanted them out, now I want them back. When that happens, my life will be good. If you abandon all of those pursuits, and you say, my life is every moment I wake up and I look, and I say, where is my father at work? And he may not be at work where I want him at work, but if I will join him in the thing he is doing, the burden gets easier. And there's this power that flows through me. And we can always know where God is at work because Jesus told us it is loving God and it is loving people. God is always about love. But this is not natural for us. And so it will take a choice to arrange your day, arrange your schedule, take on some habits that get you regularly in the flow of the Spirit, regularly getting your mind fixed on where is God and where can I join him to be able to do what he's doing? And I want to make clear, I'm not talking about putting your focus on sin management. I'm not talking about sitting around trying to figure out how can I stop doing the stuff that I know I shouldn't be doing. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about that. Of course, if my goal is I want to stay connected with God, I want to do what he's doing, he ain't doing that stuff. But my goal is not let me focus on this stuff so I don't have to do it anymore. It's let me put my focus on him and I'll just go where he's going. And suddenly he does the heavy lifting. And I'm transformed in ways I never expected. And my life becomes this blessing for the sake of every person around me. Over the last few years, I have been involved with a few different groups around our church of men and women in our church who have just chosen to intentionally arrange their lives and their day and their schedule and their habits around seeing where God is at work and joining him. Think about a guy that I know who all he said when we first were kind of meeting together was, man, I just feel underappreciated and unnoticed at work. It is just a burden every day going in. In fact, he said, every day I go in and someone will say, how's your day going? And I'll say, well, it's only 547 days more to retirement. Because I'm just counting down the days. I just hate being there. But he started to kind of figure out, you know what? This job isn't about me. God doesn't have me here for me. So he picked up a habit. He said, you know, whenever someone comes to me and they ask me to do a job that I think they're picking me because they want me to do the low-level jobs or they don't appreciate me enough, I will say every time in response, thank you for choosing me for that job. I know you could have chosen anyone else. You chose me. Because what he knows is, where is the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God is always in gratitude. When I choose to be grateful, when I choose to say everything in my life is a gift, this job is a gift, why am I complaining about what I get to do? And what he said was not only did his outlook and his attitude change, but the attitudes and outlooks of other people towards him changed. He said there were people he had been trying to force conversations about God in church with for a long time, and suddenly they're walking up to him going, what's different about you? And he can say, let me tell you what God has done for me. How does that happen? Because you give up your agenda. 
and how you thought things were supposed to go and what people are supposed to respect and think about me. I know another guy who every day at his work, he said, I'm just going to pray, God, open my eyes to see, open my ears to hear. I want to see where you're at work around me. And one day, he's kind of focused on his thing, and a client comes in, and he's working with him. And he's not even totally focused, but he remembers to pray the prayer. And pretty soon after that, this guy just starts talking about, hey, I'm trying to figure some stuff out in my life. And he goes, I think God's opening the door. So at his job with a client, he says, you should come to church with me. He said, the guy didn't seem really that interested. And then a year later, one year later, that guy walks into the door of our church, and he says, there was a guy that, he was, he was doing, I, was, I went to his job and he, he invited me to come. And now that man is an active member of our church. He is actively involved in our church. How does that happen? Because there was a man, there was a disciple of Jesus who chose to say, my job is not about me. I'm going to pray to see where God is at work and he does the heavy lifting. I know another group of people. And they go to the same restaurant every week. And it is not to be together or to have a good time. Their goal is we go to the same restaurant, we sit at the same table every week at the same time, and we are going to pray for the customers and the employees who are here because God has put them here so that we could bless them. And so they start going, and they start getting to know the names of other customers who are there at the same time. They start getting to know the names of some of the employees. And one day, a waitress who they had had a few times walks up to him and goes, I just got to tell you guys, I started picking up this shift every week because the energy you guys have is something extraordinary i've never been around people like and everyone gets excited and then a couple weeks later that same waitress comes back to another one of the women at the table and just says hey i know this seems weird but i just i think you and i could be friends could i give you my phone number she was like yeah we should hang out sometimes so they start texting she keeps praying how can i bless this person and then the waitress says i haven't told anybody this yet i'm pregnant and I'm doing it all by myself. And I'm scared. And I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I feel like you should know. And this young woman who's a disciple of Jesus starts freaking out because she doesn't know what to do. And she starts freaking out. And she starts thinking in her head, oh, Jesus, why, did, why is this the situation? We've been coming here four months. I don't know what to do about this. But the only thing she can think to say is, oh, well, congratulations. How far along are you? What do you think she said? Four months. You could see that as a, just a coincidence. Random chance. Where you can see it as a good God who loves that young woman and decided what she needs most at this moment is a group of disciples of Jesus who will bless her. And now this, this group of young men and women are going to her baby shower. They've invited her, them to their baby shower and they're trying to get money together because they just want to bless this young woman who God just put in their orbit, who was a stranger. But our Heavenly Father knew better. See, this is the invitation to you and me. God is looking to partner with ordinary people who would just open their hands and say, my life does not belong to me. I was bought at a price. What right do I ever have to say that this life is about me? And they would open their lives up and they would just choose to say, send me where you want to send me. I will do what you call me to do. They arrange their lives to follow Jesus, to do life his way. And you don't have to do it on your own power because God wants to interact with you. He wants to give you good gifts. He just wants to interact, which means he wants you to ask. He wants you to put yourself in place and say, use me. 
And he goes, I've been wanting to. You just never asked. And suddenly his power and his presence flows through you if you would put yourself in the flow of where his spirit is and go where he goes. Now maybe all that sounds really mystical to you and really strange and maybe exciting and maybe a little emotional and you're not sure what to do. And so I just want to say, we want to help you figure this out. This is why we say all the time, go to the Next Step Center. Sign up for this Next Steps class. It's just a class that gives you a chance to investigate a pathway that we have seen people again and again in our church take steps towards Jesus and his way of life and say yes to him. And every time they say yes to him, it's like something opens up in their life. Power that they'd never experienced before. Transformation they never had. Life in a new way. And if you would just say yes and take a step, I believe it can happen for you. Others of you, you're already really committed and connected to our church. You've been here forever. And you heard Steve say, we got Easter coming up. And you go, oh, I know the exact person I'm going to give an invitation to, whether they like it or not. I'm all force it on them. Maybe. You open your hands a little. And you just start to pray, God, would you open opportunities? And maybe, maybe the people you're calling me to bless are people I've never even noticed. And not the way I want things to go. But you just start praying and looking for God's activity around you. I believe he wants all of us to join him in his work. So to help you think about this, I've invited Steve to come out and lead us through a time of prayer. Let's do that now. Thank you.